You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The fucking Archies coming over here with their bloody curly hair and their teenagers pulling each other off. Welcome to Pint of Football, the nation's drunkest football podcast, where much like Liz Truss, we have no mandate for anything we're subjecting you to. In Beijing, opening up new port markets, it's Andy Baxter. <laughs> yeah. And promoted well beyond his ability to function, it's Daz Napton. What's a pork market? And as always, it's me, the current Chancellor of the Exchequer, Tom Meadowcroft. You've got to be sort of in line to be a member of parliament by now, yeah. haven't you? Yeah, I believe I'm like, I'm fifth in line just behind Selena Gomez. <laughs> Selena Gomez, Saddam Hussein, and <laughs> um, John Barrowman. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Tim Curry. Tim Curry, yeah. He'd certainly straighten it out, wouldn't he? Oh, he'd sort it all out. Any job for any person, that would be his, like, manifesto, wouldn't it? Everyone would just get all the jobs of the world would go into a big pot and you'd just pick one out. That would Minister be for fishnets. Yeah. Uh, right. Let's crack on with In The Mix. And it has been a fair old while since we've deep-dived into Wardy. Some would say we've been letting his body rest. Jesus. I mean, he seems to have got out while the going was bad, doesn't he? Before it sort of completely goes to shite. Mm. Makes um, you wonder, though, doesn't it? He's, all, like he's always, always thinking ahead, Wardy. Yeah. Andrew Ward, Darius. Do you think they've just got on one of those future Hagrid. world spaceships? Hagrid, yeah, yeah. They've all got on one of those spaceships where they go to the next world. I think, yeah. What, like the film Inception? Well, I don't know about the film. I was just thinking of that. Um, how, what was it? Treehouse of Horrors, uh, Simpsons one. 
where I think only Lisa and Marge get to go on it and Homer and Bart are left to go on the hellish one, which just has all like the, the pedophiles of the world on it. And it's fine. They just get fired into the sun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, I don't even guess as to which one we'd be on, but mm. I think we all I think we all know that. Yeah. <clears throat> Put it this way, Tom, you wouldn't need that jumper <laughs> where we're going. <laughs> but that's fine. We're here for that. We're here for the good, the bad, and the ugly. And speaking of which, we're going to crack straight on with a story which covers, for the first time, South American football. Way. Long overdue. It's like he knew. 1956. That's how long it's taken him to realise that there's more than just Northern ripping and Southern sun. Is this the first non-UK story? No, we covered the one with the Russian team. This one probably is, doesn't involve the UK. Well, let me tell you now, it's set in Coventry. Right, of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> I said it features South American football. I didn't say that was the main point. I've called it No Way, Jose. No Way, Jose. Here we go then. If a player is sent off by the referee but refuses to leave the field, then the referee should abandon the match. Did you know that? I mean, I I suppose it makes sense, but I don't know if anyone's... I mean, it must have happened. I I guess it's about to happen now. (laughs) Arthur Ellis, an international referee from Halifax, did exactly that after 44 minutes of a floodlight friendly between Coventry City and San Lorenzo, an Argentinian club on tour in Britain. That's a bad booking, isn't it? Just going to <laughs> tour Europe. Where should we go? Coventry. Yeah. And it's in January. Oh, not going to be much fun. San Lorenzo fans are like some of the more mental fans in the, in the world. If you look them up on YouTube, there's like tens of thousands of them just going, ah! <laughs> Can you think of Anything more depressing than Coventry in January in 1956? Stoke on Trent in January in 2010. Was that just before you arrived? Yeah. <laughs> Are you saying that you made Stoke on Trent a better place? For a little bit. Yeah. For now, we've just got the depressing Coventry scenes. And it's referred to as. And Wardy likes this word, and so do I. A tempestuous game. Mm. So perhaps comparative American term, exhibition game, to the word friendly, is better suited. And I I must agree with Wardy on this. I don't like the word friendly. I'd much rather it was called a pre-season. Obviously, in South America, they call it exhibition game. But I just don't think the term friendly is ever appropriate for football do you not no yeah well i suppose the um the insinuation is people teams try less hard during friendlies i don't know it's quite hard trying to be friendly i find it much easier (laughs) i think it's more about you than anything but it was a real exhibition it started well enough and as halftime approached with the score at 1-1 most people felt it had the potential to be a great game Then Arthur Ellis, the cup final referee of 1952, 
awarded Coventry a penalty for a push on Dennis Uphill. Was, was Dennis Uphill playing for San Lorenzo? No, but that would be good, wouldn't it? Oh, okay. Ellis was surrounded by Argentinians. And oh, no. It's kicked. like that dream again. <laughs> <laughs> hey, English. <laughs> I fucking pushed you over. No, no, they didn't push him over. In fact, what happened was he was kicked by a teenager called <laughs> Jose Sanfilippo. Legend. That gives you. <laughs> said, said teenager was sent off for this. Because it was a friendly, he basically argued and then refused to leave the field. <laughs> Two teammates tried to pull him off, which is probably not ideal when you're a teenager. <laughs> Jose, don't worry about it. You're in Coventry, one of the greatest European cities. <laughs> Interpreters, police and San Lorenzo officials were soon all on the pitch. Arthur Ellis abandoned the match and stuck by his decision. Ooh. It's a firm decision. It is, and it, it seems unnecessary in a friendly slash exhibition match. Surely they could just force a substitution or something. But he must have been a particularly riled up teenager. Yeah, well, when, when he was getting pulled off by two other players, it's, yeah. Yeah, there's not much else you can do, is there? Other podcasts <laughs> that get quarter of an hour out of that, and we're not, we're not stupid to that level. So Arthur Ellis abandoned the match. Coventry City Chairman Earl Shanks, which is a good name, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Earl Shanks <laughs> Port Magnate Owner of Coventry TFC Well that's just a tax write-off And these group of lads to come over And play a friendly Against the fucking Argies <laughs> Coming over here with their bloody curly hair And their teenagers pulling each other off I don't I've know got, Pork's a harsh to, mistress I've got them to bring Ten pounds of steaks over with them <laughs> That's what it's really about. So, yeah, Mr. Shanks had the task of announcing the news to 17,000 fans. Which, again, is, is quite an admirable, you know, thing that he went on the field to do. He went on, assuming in 1956 he probably didn't have a mic, so he probably just bellowed in his Shanksy accent. I can throw my voice, don't worry about that. <laughs> what he said was, Mr. Ellis. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> You've all got homes to go to. <laughs> that should have been what he said, but instead uh, what he said was, Mr. Ellis, the referee, states that he was kicked by the San Lorenzo player, San Filippo. He immediately ordered the player to the dressing room. The player refused to go and was supported in his attitude by certain of their players. Under the circumstances, Mr. Ellis has abandoned the game and he refuses to referee under these impossible conditions. <laughs> under FA rules, we are not allowed to appoint a substitute. Personally, I think he's being a fucking fanny. <laughs> you see that larger kid? He's only about 20, it's only about 20 grams. <laughs> And this is in quote marks as though it was said, but as we know, Wardy does like to create his own characters. That's why we love the book so much. But the, the question I've got to ask is, surely the crowd have just watched all this unfold. Why is Shanksy going on the mic to give an immediate blow-by-blow blow on the action? 
it wasn't the catchiest sort of explanation either, was it? Like, <laughs> you know, um, citing FA rules and things like that. It's, it was hard to follow just listening to it, let alone if you were there. Like, I struggle to imagine he was that formal with the address. Yeah. Rest been, rest been kicked to the knackers, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> He's not coming back. There will be no <laughs> refunds. <laughs> well, let's find out if there was any refunds. This was the fifth game of San Lorenzo's tour. They were finding it hard to adjust to the British mud and had yet to win. They had played Brentford, Rangers, Chef Wednesday, Wolves, and now Coventry. Proper teams. Their sixth and last game was, was sorry. Was that was that your um was that your edition or was that in the book? Yeah, <laughs> that was my edition. Okay. Yeah, we know that Wardy hates the North. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially Brentford. <laughs> I went out to West London once and never again, I tell me. Brentford? More like Bradford. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the last game was on a frozen pitch at Southampton where San Lorenzo won 2-1. By that time, officials and San Filippo had apologised to Coventry City. Oh. Isn't that nice? <laughs> Calm down, pussycat. <laughs> And now we get a nice ending to the story. This is this is one of the better endings, actually. We get a bit more than just that was it. They all went home. You get a bit of a snapshot into Jose San Filippo's career. His stubbornness was described by Ellis as akin to that of a mule. <laughs> <laughs> and he had an interesting career. He was always scoring goals and always temperamental. That's that's the, the sign of a great striker, isn't it? Especially South American striker. Always just banging him in, always winding everyone up. Just an angry little Latin man. Yeah. Kicking it, dicks and scoring goals. That's exactly what you're expecting. <laughs> <laughs> and kind of fresh out of goals. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be pleased to know that after this, he played for Argentina in the 1958 World Cup and was the, the country's top scorer for four successive seasons. Oh, fantastic. But, yeah. Finally, San Lorenzo, finding him difficult to handle, transferred him to Boca Juniors for eight to five grand, the sort of money AC Milan were paying for Jimmy Greaves at the time, if you want to put it into perspective. Mm. Wow. Do you want some even more information about Jose San Filippo? Yes. He's still alive. Wait, get him on. He's, he's 87 years old and he's still kicking about. Literally. Maybe not literally. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't mention his, his, his health. Um, but, you know, I'm sure that Argentinian diet, eating steaks and drinking red wine, he's probably in peak condition. Yeah, yeah I'm sure he is. Well, that, that actually is an even better ending to top the fact that he was in the Argentina 1958 World Cup squad and was the league's top scorer for four years. He is the fifth highest scoring player in Argentine, Argentine football, even now. Wow. Pretty, he must have been a good player. Yeah. I mean, we were all reckless as teenagers, weren't, weren't we? Yeah. No, I, was all... good, I was a good little boy. <laughs> He's got a nickname, which is L Nene N E N E and I'm it means scared. The dick kicker. 
I'm scared to Google it. I'm also ah, oh, that's boring. It just means a young, a young person, colloquially a kid. Hmm. Fantastic. That's a shame. I was hoping it'd mean, as you say, the genital assaulter. What do you actually? <laughs> what do you have to do to earn the nickname "young kid"? Very dull. Yeah, and that yeah, was very, yeah. It's a very it dull nickname. It came to prominence, maybe. Oh. Yeah, maybe it is a. Uh, that was yeah. It was a, a, you, you'd ruined a really good ending that you just created yourself with an evil wow, colour ending. That's the warty way, I think. Yeah, thought you would have wanted. Cut it out, rubbish. Peak football. I liked it. I liked it. He, all that we know about him is that he was a teenager who kicked someone for no reason. I like it. Yeah. I mean, more of it, to really. get from Argentina to Southampton in 1956, I'm sure they would have sailed, which would have taken them ages. So no wonder he was angry and wanted to kick someone. <laughs> yeah. Three weeks on a ferry for a six-match, one-week tour of England in January. He was just pacing round and round like yeah, kicking walls. Horrible. Good stuff. Yeah, I enjoyed that one as well. I think it definitely had its charm, but also it had a big character, which is, is what we like here on Planet Football. We're all about the big yeah. characters. Does well, he make our best Wardy book 11 so far? We're a bit light on strikers, aren't we? I know Wilfie. we only got strikers. We've got Delph, Wilf the Delph. Wilf the Delph. And the guy who scored when the, his manager was having testicle surgery. Oh, has he though? I don't think the manager's made it because we had the big, what was his name? Big Dick from the last episode. <laughs> I forgot about Big Dick Duckworth. <laughs> big Dick Duckworth. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, maybe we have got a space, but there's still so much to cover. I don't all right, know. All right. I don't want to chuck in a, a teenage kicking RG too early. It might be it might be a bad choice, but that's what we're here for, isn't it? We're here to make those tough choices on peak football. We're here to make bad choices. Yeah. Shall we continue to the next story? Oh, please. Yeah. By the way, what was quite an exciting story we just heard, Wardy just literally called the 44-minute game. Fuck's sake. <laughs> Completely missed the point again. Continuing source of uh, disappointment. Yeah. Now this one I've renamed, and I'm really happy with this name. So I'm going to tell you it and just sit back and enjoy. It's called Stocky Summers and His Sensational Shoes. Wow. I'm in. I'm on board. It's good. Yeah. Let's kick off. It was the Saturday before Christmas. what has gone into another one of his writing styles here, by the way. <laughs> Many of Charlton Athletic's regular supporters had opted for Christmas shopping rather than the home game against Huddersfield Town. Still, more did the same after an hour's play. Charlton were losing 5-1 and were down to 10 players. Ooh. It didn't seem worth staying until the end but let that be a warning. Those who left early missed a most amazing transformation. <laughs> oh, sure. So exciting, isn't it? I'm never more excited about listening to a 
reading about a Charlton <laughs> Athletic game. He's being a bit mysterious here as Wardy. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's good. And then we get the facts. Do do do. Charlton Athletics home, the Valley, was a huge stadium capable of holding 70,000 people. And on this pre-Christmas Saturday, it looked fairly empty with only 12,000 spectators inside. At halftime, Charlton were 2-0 down and not playing well. They had also lost centre-back Derek Ufton, who had dislocated a shoulder and would have to play with 10 men for the last 80 minutes. No substitutes were allowed at the time. It's another classic example, though. Of surely by this point, the game must have been reeking to just get the subs going. Must have been. Nah. It seems really late, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. The substitutes. I mean, it seems like they've invented everything else. And as you say, surely injuries were sort of happening with massive frequency because the pitches were crap. You could just run into each other and fouls weren't really a thing, were these? We've discovered. Yeah. You could electrocute yourself or be electrocuted, you know. <laughs> or run off into a quarry. You yourself into a quarry, yeah. Yeah. So, yes, substitutes should have definitely been allowed by this point, but obviously they weren't. And the one man who will be forever associated with Charlton Athletic's stunning transformation that day was Johnny Summers. Their tall, stocky, outside left. Oh, okay. So his name wasn't Stocky Summers. No. That's a shame. At half time, he changed his boots. Hmm. Thinking Stocky Summers and his magical boots. <laughs> Sensational shoes, actually. Oh. Thinking it would be a good time to break in a new pair. Now, I'm not being funny. Now, Tom, I know you've not played much 11 aside. I don't know if you've worn actual football boots. A new pair of football boots is a nightmare. It's, oh, I hated it. Used to get so many blisters from new football boots. It's just horrid. Why would you choose to do that? Yeah, why would you choose to do it halfway through a match? Because he's stocky motherfucking Summers. His feet are just like a giant callus. (laughs) (laughs) I imagine in 1956, technology wasn't what it is now either in terms of boot technology. Mm, Maybe, maybe. But he decided to put the new pair on. And after all, Charlton had little chance... And his old pair of boots were falling to pieces. So you've got to have some sympathy, really, haven't you? In the third minute of the second half, Summers scored his first goal, but Huddersfield Town popped in three more and led 5-1 after an hour. So Summers has done his bit, but so far not enough because they're still absolutely getting smashed. The visitors, who included future England fullback Ray Wilson and England international wing half Bill McGarry, Look certainties for two second division points. Even when John Buck Ryan scored a consolation goal. Now you'll notice here, Wardy has called it a consolation goal. That surely must mean it's game, set and match. But no. Then Johnny Summers scored four goals. In the rearrangements following Ufton's injury, Summers had moved to centre forward. So they stuck him up top, the big man, the big stocky man. It was from this position that he scored his goals, all with his unnatural right foot and all with the new boots. Wow. 
tell us more about his unnatural feet. <laughs> Are they webbed? This one's for the feet people in the audience. Now you're out there. You got yeah. If we got any listeners with foot fetishes, this this is a story for you. The remaining spectators were rewarded for their loyalty. They were going berserk, and there were still ten minutes to play. Charlton leading six five. Wow, the excitement is building. This is on the same sort of territory as the Wilf. Then Huddersfield equalised. Six all. Oh. Well, we've still got half a page left. Starting to sweat a bit. <laughs> the winning goal came with the last kick of the match. Charlton's Fred Lucas fed John Ryan and the big attacker slammed in the 11th goal of the second half. Charlton won 7-6. And moments later... Oh. Final whistle went. The crowd began calling for the players and Johnny Summers in particular. You can hear the chants. We want Summers. We want Summers. We and his want magical Summers. splendid shoes. I want to lick them. And they appeared in the director's box and were greeted rapturously with applause. Meanwhile, in the Miller Hospital at Greenwich, oh, it took a turn. Oh no! Don't, don't forget the injured Derek Ufton, who had, had what had he done? Neck of his Hit shoulder. Hit his shoulder. Yeah. So yeah, this could be the unwanted cliffhanger. Over at the Miller Hospital in Greenwich, Derek Ufton didn't believe it when he'd heard from the hospital staff that it was seven six. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it. It couldn't have been the game he started off in. It wasn't I until... I believe it. <laughs> I, I won't believe it. Nurse. <laughs> it wasn't until... Go down to the fucking valley and get those cunts to tell you the real score. I'm delirious. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it wasn't until teammate Stuart Leary visited him at hospital and then he could take in the news. There was a strange sequel less than three weeks later. Charlton and Huddersfield met in the FA Cup third round replay at the same place, the Valley. A much bigger crowd turned out, expecting a repeat. And do you know what those lacklustre, horrid fans who didn't even bother to show up for the last game got? No, no. Not quite. They got a Charlton 1 now. At least 13-1. If you're not going to come and see Summers in his sensational shoes, you don't deserve yeah. you don't deserve the 1-0 scrappy home wins, yeah. I'm going to ask again. Was that peak football? I I really like that one. He had some nice bits, some injury, some, you know, a lot of goals, some blisters, some foot fetish stuff. Yeah. yeah. It was really good. Considering the first story we enjoyed about the Argentinian guy. Well, it's, it's been a good one this week. It's been too... Stories that have been very listenable. Yeah, yeah. Which isn't always the way, is it? No. <laughs> very much not. I'm going to tempt fate and I'm going to offer you both a stick or twist. Mm. Do we stick with the two good stories we've had? Or do we twist and go for a third story? 
Well, it, are you going to give us any information about the story? Because if it's another long one, then maybe not, because we've still got a, a quiz to fit in, I believe. It's a short story. Is it a longy? Oh, it's a shorty. Go on then, you tuggy. Go on then. Regale us with another story. Somebody say eggs. James Cheesy Eggs. What is James Cheesy Eggs? Eggs. Have you not had like, it's just hot, it's just like hard boiled eggs with cheese sauce and chips. Bit of ham, maybe. James Cheesy Eggs. Is it like dirty fries with egg? James. Cheesy eggs. I wouldn't put egg and cheese together, I don't think. James cheesy eggs. How would you describe it in three words? Mm, mm, mm. Um, egg with cheese. Oh yeah. That's some cheesy eggs. Jane. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We've made it to page 100. Woo! Hooray. 100 pages. Of utter, I mean, <laughs> journalistic <laughs> majesty. Oh, we're, we're, we're getting there. We're two-fifths of the way through. And have you been rewarded with your gamble? The story, as I've named it, is Groundhog Day at Ellen Road. Did you tell us what the last story was called? Well, it wasn't anything as good as mine. Oh, what? Was that the one you made up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Christ. Why did I... Right, go on. It was called Second Half Transformation. (sighs) He's he's not a headline writer, is he? No, he's not. Let's Let's see if this was worth doing. And you'll have to listen in. Because these first three sentences, one, two, yeah, these first three sentences, it's going to be a, a spot the difference. In 1955 to 1956, in the third round of the FA Cup, Leeds United were drawn at home to Cardiff City. In 1956 to 1957, in the third round of the FA Cup, Leeds United were drawn at home to Cardiff City. In 1957 to 1958, in the third round of the FA Cup, Leeds United were drawn at home to Cardiff City. And that's half a page. (laughs) Wow. Had the possibility been suggested before the 1955 to 1956 third round draw 
that Leeds would be at home to Cardiff in three successive seasons, a statistician would have calculated the odds at one in two million. Is that right? Yet. Ward is there with his abacus. Yeah. Yet, something even more unlikely occurred. Let's look at the results. In 1955 to 1956, Cardiff City won 2-1 at Leeds after a goalless first half. In 1956 to 1957, Cardiff City won 2-1 at Leeds after a goalless first half. There was a sense of deja vu when 30,374 people visited Ellen Road in Leeds to see the third third round meeting in successive seasons. Surely Leeds must now gain revenge. I mean, the, the fact that they got drawn together three times is quite weird. Quite unlikely. Not, you know, not the biggest shock in the world, but it is quite unlikely. But the fact that the two first games they had mirrored each other is quite interesting. Maybe, is it? Who it's knows? an unnecessary page in the book, isn't it? You could have just yeah. said. What are the odds that the same match would happen three years in a row? I guess, like, you know, it's quite unlikely that anyone scores more than, like, five goals in a game of football. So, I don't know where I'm going with this. I just haven't said anything in a while. That's all right. Just just checking in. (laughs) To be fair, that, at some point in one of our future pods, might be a useful statement. So, I'll just chop it and put it in randomly at some point. (laughs) I've got a few stock Tom phrases. Maybe there'll be an Have episode where, yeah, maybe there'll be an episode where Tom can't make it, but we make it seem like he was there. <laughs> Just replace him with a soundboard. That'd be great. Hello, Daz. You're quite good at turning me on. <laughs> anyway, what happened in this third match? The status of the clubs had been reversed. Whereas Cardiff were in the first division and Leeds in the second in January 1956, the roles were now the opposite. Leeds were promoted, Cardiff relegated. When the teams had met in the first division in 1956-57, Leeds had cruised to a 3-0 home victory. It was virtually impossible for three successive 2-1 away wins to occur. Or was it? Ooh. Now we get a... Woody, weather warning! It's going to be pissing down. The conditions were icy and precarious. Second division Cardiff scored first. Alan Harrington scoring from long range in the 20th minute. Bobby Forrest equalised with a header from Wilbur Cush. Wilbur Cush? Yeah. Neither of those are names, first name or surname, you really hear anymore. What did Wilbur Cush do? You said he scored a header from Wilbur Cush. That didn't make any sense. Yeah, I just I was interested by the name. I'll read it again. Bobby Forrest equalised with a header from Wilbur Cush's centre, and ah. Leeds took control right on half time. However, came a second Cardiff goal. Cliff Nugent being the scorer at half time. Cardiff led by the magic, magnetic two-one score line. Surely it couldn't happen again, but it did. Now, Wardy says, but it did. But I'm going to say, well, no, it didn't. Because in the other two games, it was nil-nil at half-time. Yeah. So you're talking bollocks again. Well, he's not talking, he's writing, which is even worse. You talk bollocks, people forget. You write it down, 
and we can all see it. Even beyond the grave, we can tell you're a liar. I'm so sorry to Andy's family. Oh, God. You just imagine, oh, look, these lads have done an, uh, a podcast about, about your dad's book. Oh, to be fair, I just, I reckon you just knocked this one out in time for Christmas. Anyway, the referee had the best chance to prevent a 2-1 Cardiff win when, in the last minute, Wilbur Cush was brought down and Leeds appealed for a penalty. It was not given. Cardiff won 2-1 three times in a row. Yeah, pretty good. I mean, it's got to be quite rare because thinking about it, they were both teams that were in the same division or only one division apart. So I guess they were only entering the competition at the same stage. So they were always going to be in it. It's not as if it's like a non-league team battling their way through. So that sort of reduces the odds a little bit. But still interesting. Like I always think the one when you, you, a team plays another team in the cup and then you've got to play them again at the weekend, that happens more than it should. I can't quantify it, but it, it, it does happen. It's happening to Everton, actually, in, in a couple of weeks. You've got Bournemouth on the Wednesday in the League Cup and then Bournemouth again on the Saturday. And I remember we had, um, like, we had Wimbledon twice in a row. I say we Rovers had Wimbledon twice in a row. For that weird, isn't it? The best is when it happens at the back end of the season and you're a lower league club. Certainly, I remember Mac in the conference, we got to the semi-final of the FA Trophy and I swear we had, like, Wrexham three times within a month. But then if we'd have got to the playoffs, we would have also drawn them in the playoffs. So we could have had FA Trophy, home leg, away leg, league match and playoff. Could have been five times in a month. Mad. But no, not peak football, I don't think. I'm not even going to ask you to because it wasn't. Fair enough. Well, we couldn't have had three good stories in a row, could we? So never mind. Always goes to show, guys. Don't gamble. Yeah. And now Stage. a word from our sponsor. Good. Well, I was thinking about alcoholic Bovril. <laughs> Baxter's hard Bovril. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All the joys of alcoholic uh, gravy. What what kind of what spirit do you suggest we mix with Bovril? I can't believe I'm saying this. <laughs> hmm. <sighs> Be like an Irish coffee, wouldn't it? Quantro. I'm gonna try this because I love Bovril. What is um? Why don't you call it the Bovril Slammer? A bit with tequila. I like the Bovril Slammer. Uh, it does sound like a good name, doesn't it? It sounds like someone in a prison gang. You got to, <laughs> you got to, you got to rub Bovril and paste in your eyes. I fell foul of the Bovril Slammer. <laughs> so w- what do you do? Do you like do you shoot the the, the spirit and then snort, snort the Bovril? <laughs> no, it just, you rub the paste in your eyes. Oh, you rub the paste in your eyes, sorry. That'd be, otherwise, it'd be silly. <laughs> All you do is down a shot of tequila and go Bovrilinger. Like the end of Scarface, and it was just on the table. <laughs> oh, Bovril Slammer. Bovril Slammer. Oh, yes. Jesus. That's one for your birthday. That's one meaty spirit. <laughs> 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 oh, 
Can't remember what the quiz is called. Where did this person play? It's uh, the nation's favourite uh, football quiz that we definitely didn't steal from another podcast. Did we? Probably, but we don't know what it is yet. So, who can give me 13 clubs for Omar Bogle? 13? Fuck about. Wow. Yeah. Who, who do you want to go first? Daz, do you want to guess first? Do you want me to? Well, the, you, you got to say how many you reckon you can get, and then I'll go with the higher. Is that how well, it works? Well, you can do, I suppose, but if if I say I can do five and Daz can't do five, then I do five. I try right, and do right. my five. So I, five. Don't, I, don't, I can only just do one. Well, then. Well, I can definitely do more than one. So I, I can do two. Do you think you can do three or are you going to make me do my two? Do you two. Ah, the hubris. <laughs> AFC Wimbledon. No. <laughs> oh, one with one. My other one was Oxford. It, also, no. <laughs> Daz, can you give me one for Omar Bogle? I don't need to anyway, because I've won, but wasn't Grimsby Grim Grimsby was one, yeah. yeah. Would you like to go for glory? Who am I thinking of? No. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, can that's another one for me anyway. Do the joke quick. Oh, I bought my fiance a an artificial leg for Christmas, just a stocking fella. <laughs> <laughs> what you could have saved that for the Christmas special. Well, a birthday that no, it, it doesn't work with birthday because it's Christmas, it's a stocking. It's bye, bye, good night. Baxter's Hard Bovril. The Bovril Slammer. All the joys of alcoholic oh, gravy. What spirit do you suggest we mix with Bovril? I can't believe I'm saying this. <laughs> Quantrum. I'm going to try this because I love Bovril. What do you do? Do you like do you shoot the, the, the spirit and then snort, snort the Bovril? <laughs> You've got to rub Bovril and paste in your eyes. Oh, foul of the Bovril slammer. Paste in your eyes, paste in your eyes, paste in your eyes, paste in your eyes, paste in your eyes. I like the Bovril slammer. Paste in your eyes, paste in your eyes, paste in your eyes, paste in your eyes, paste in your eyes. That's one meaty spirit. Oh, yes. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.